0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis, I'm Gil Gross, I missed you guys, last Monday was an off Monday for the first time in 10 weeks, it was a busy summer, it's finally time to take a quick break, but we're back, and back with one of the more polarizing debates in tennis. That's what I'm gonna start with. Labor Cup is an interesting format, but really, it wasn't Labor Cup that sparked this debate, although I did see a little bit of chatter about this. Really, all summer, people talking about best of three versus best of five, so I'm gonna get into that uh, right away. After that, obviously, let's talk some Labor Cup. This was a great event. Even though it's an exhibition event, I think that there are real uh, repercussions to this event. And also, I just think it's great for the sport, so I want to talk about it. And then at the end, I'll uh, preview the Asian hardcore swing and talk about the big four um, and a couple things that we should be looking out for. Let's start, as promised, with best of three versus best of five. Uh, this is kind of a good example of... <laughs> What you've seen, if you've been on Twitter all summer, on Tennis Twitter, you should follow me at Gil Gross. That's uh, Gil with two L's underscore gross, as you know. Um, ben Rothenberg and Brad Gilbert got into it. Uh, this, uh, this was during the U.S. Open. Dick Vitale, who is an American basketball commentator, he mentioned on the ESPN broadcast that he would rather the men play best of three instead of best of five. Brad Gilbert said over my dead body. Ben Rothenberg, who is sort of the face of this movement, he's a tennis journalist for the New York Times. Rothenberg takes any chance he can to push this narrative. Um, it's actually non narrative, sorry, to push this agenda would be the better word, because Rothenberg is a staunch advocate of men's tennis moving to best of three in majors. Brad Gilbert is, he strongly opposes the idea. To be honest, best of three has a lot of support. Billie Jean King, Pam Shriver, um, I believe Novak Djokovic, um, I think Andy Murray. Yes, during Wimbledon, during the BBC broadcast, Andy Murray. So there are some legitimate figures in this sport who think that the men should play best of three and best of five. So what's the argument here? The argument is that People don't have the attention span that this younger generation is just too damn impatient. Uh, They do not have the attention span to sit through a best of five match and that the tennis is too long. It takes too long. Therefore, we should shorten the matches to best of three. That is the argument. Here's the problem. These people have not presented me with any empirical evidence that people are more willing to sit in front of their television screen or go to the match if it's best of three. You need to show me that more people watch. Here's the thing. We have it. It would be different if we had no such thing as best of three in men's tennis and people just thought, oh, we should try this. That would be different. We have best of three. It's Masters 1000s tournaments. All the top players play. The draws are stacked. The tennis is great. It's all the top players. It's best of three. Show me that people are more willing to sit through a Masters 1000s tennis match. Show me that more people sit down and watch because it's best of three. We We have this format out there. We have tennis at the highest level in best of three. Do you have any evidence that more people will sit down and watch it? Do you have any any evidence that more people will watch the beginning of the match to the end of the match? I haven't heard anything. They are going off merely a feeling, merely a hunch Based on nothing but what they deem as logic and common sense. They are going off just that. To propose a drastic change in men's tennis. For there to be a change, first there needs to be a problem. Is there a problem? Show me that. No one has shown me that there's a problem. For Davis Cup, there was a problem. The Stars weren't playing. The numbers were going down. The ITF was losing money. There was a problem. And they did something about the problem. Is there a problem here? No one has shown me that there is a problem in Grand Slam Tennis. Nobody has shown me that the numbers are declining. Nobody has shown me that they're losing money. So where's this change coming from? Where's the problem? If there is a problem... My stance on this normally is no experiment is a bad experiment and try everything. But as far as making a drastic change like this, we have the experimentation. We have it. They play best of three matches. Do people watch longer? Do more people watch? This doesn't make any sense to me. This doesn't make any sense. Show me evidence, numbers, proof. This is what you need to make a change like this. Not only do you need to show me that, but you need to show me there's a problem. So I am not on board with the best of three. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section. As always, not on board with this. I'm on the side of Brad Gilbert. I'm not going to try to list off everyone who, who... agrees with best of five and wants it to, uh, to stay. Um, I think that the people who say that everything is fine, get very little publicity. The people who call for a change get a lot of publicity for some reason. That's how it seems to be covered. So I think that that also goes into it. Let's move on to labor cup, happier topic. It's all flowers and and roses when it comes to Labor Cup. What an event. This is fantastic. Shout out to Chicago, the United Center, packing that arena. 16,000 fans or more for every single event. It was a Davis Cup-like atmosphere. It was so much fun just to get all these guys in the same building together. To get – this is something – I'm kind of stealing this from Roger Federer because this is what Federer said. But to get the legends – Rubbing shoulders with the older players, rubbing shoulders with the younger players, all of the elite players in the sport in the same building, interacting with each other. That is what showcases these guys' personalities. That is what markets the sport. And this is a great product we get. This is a great mix of entertainment and competitiveness. And the players care. If you don't believe me, watch Sasha smashing his racket. Watch Sasha celebrating when he won. Uh, watch Nick arguing with the chair umpire in his match against Federer and McEnroe, which was a great moment. I mean, how often do we get to see that? McEnroe yelling at the chair umpire with Nick Kyrgios and Federer on the other side of the court laughing. That was so much fun. So much fun. How often do we get to see doubles, which I think is just underappreciated. How often do we get to see high-level doubles in front of a packed 17,000-person audience with the best players in the world showcased like we did in Labor Cup? Sometimes in Davis Cup, but not always. I love that. And the matches were great. The tennis was great. It's a unique format. All of the matches mean something. That's why they have on Friday the matches are one point. On Saturday the matches are worth two points. And on Sunday, did I say Sunday I meant Saturday? And then on Sunday the matches are worth three points. Maybe Davis Cup can learn from that because it seems to be a really fun format. Team world versus Team Europe, look, Team Europe looks a lot better on paper, but now two years in a row, this has been a close this has been a close, tightly contested competition. So this has been so much fun. I think the two big winners are Jack Sock and Sasha Zverev. Sock went 3 and 0 in doubles matches. In fact, Team World only won a single only won one singles match. And that was a major upset, Kevin Anderson over Novak Djokovic. 10-6 in a match tiebreak. Um, so it was really Jack Sock keeping team world in this. He went 3-0 with three different doubles partners. He beat the likes of Djokovic and Federer playing with Kevin Anderson. He beat Dimitrov and Gafan easily playing with Kyrgios. And then he beat Federer and Zverev playing with John Isner. This was this was a coming out party for for Jack Sock uh, as a doubles player. And he has developed, slowly but surely, a reputation as being one of the best players, uh, doubles players in the world. But really, does he have a platform to showcase what he can do? Not really. Because people don't pay much attention to doubles in the majors. But this was a case where not only did you have him winning and winning and winning some more, but you had him winning against the top singles players in the sport in, in, in a lot of cases. And... What that kind of showed everyone is, regardless of Jack Sox struggles in singles, this is a dude with a very, very special skill. And it's not, he doesn't just have success in doubles because he's the only singles player that focuses on doubles. No, he has great success in doubles because he's just better than everyone else. It's not about Djokovic and Federer not playing doubles. That's not why Jack Sox is the best doubles players in the world. Um, Doubles is just a different sport. In many ways. It's not like singles. It's way more. Obviously. Serve. Return. Volley. Volleys. That that's, that's doubles. Like ground strokes aren't that big a deal. Movement isn't as big a deal. It's a different kind of movement. Movement helps. But. How well do you volley? How well do you serve? How well do you return? That's the biggest part of it. Now for Jack Sock. Um, he's so good when he is on the baseline, of dipping the ball below the knees and making the opponent hit really low volleys in doubles. So I think, you know, Rafa, also Rafa has tremendous volleys. I think Rafa's a great doubles player because of that reason. Sock's a great doubles player because of that reason. But uh, this was huge for Sock. I, I, was just, I just think this is a great event for him. The second thing is Misha. I think that Roger Federer is taking, I said Misha, I meant Sasha. I think that Roger is taking Sasha sort of under his wing. After Sasha lost in the Australian Open, Roger took Sasha aside and said, you have to put less pressure on yourself. And that was a conversation that uh, Sasha told the media uh, took place. And then we saw a little bit more here in the Labor Cup. Um, Roger Federer told Sasha, stop showing as much negative body language. Um, your opponent loves that. You saw a few pep talks from Federer to Zverev in this match. I think that's uh, that's so valuable for Sasha, and a lot of it's just osmosis as well. You watch the, the the top professionals prepare. You watch them go about their business, and that's really valuable for a young player. It's almost like an unfair advantage for a young player to get invi- invited for Labor Cup. The only thing is, it's not unfair because he earned it. But I think it's really big for him. So, and then I think to clinch the match, uh, I think it was a really good moment. You could tell how much it meant to him. So I think it was big for Sasha uh, because, especially because this was a, I don't think he's going to feel very good about his 2018 because 2018 was about making the next step in the majors. 2017 was cool and all. He had a lot of success outside the majors. He didn't have success inside the majors, but it was okay. It was still a pretty good year. 2018 was about, let's take that next step in the majors, and he failed. So for him to to win on this stage in the presence of so many of the alpha dogs in the sport, I think that's big for Sasha. So I think that Sasha and Sock, those were the two winners. The other guys, this is exhibition at the end of the day. So it's hard. While, while, while it's such a great event from an entertainment perspective it's hard to draw a lot from it even though they they play their they play their hardest tennis that's for sure in fact they might even play harder which brings me kind of to my next point why are these matches so close I kind of want to ponder this let me run through the matches real quick because this is a good time to do this uh, just in case you missed it I guess I, I'll take responsibility uh, for catching you guys up Dimitrov beat TFO for Team Europe. Edmund beat Sok, Team Europe. Gafan beat Schwartzman Team Europe. Anderson and Sock beat Djokovic and Fed Team World. Zverev beat Isner Team Europe. Federer beat Kyrgios Team Europe. Anderson beat Djokovic Team World's only singles win. Um, Sock and Kyrgios beat Dimitrov and Gafan Team. World, Isner and Sock beat Federer and Zverev. Team World, Federer beat Isner. Team Europe, Zverev beat Anderson. Team Europe to clinch it. Eight of eleven matches went to the match tiebreak. The third set super tiebreak to ten. So and also last year, all, so many matches were really close, and it has has me wondering why. I mean, t- Team Europe is substantially better. Than Team World, they have the higher-ranked players. So why does why is this so close? First of all, I think the team tennis eliminates, and these are just theories. I'm kind of just floating these out there. Um, I don't know. There's not a big enough sample size. Uh, I I have a, a bit of my tin tin hat on right now. It's a bit of not a real conspiracy theory, but it's it's out there. I wonder how much separates these guys physically. Maybe the top players are really just a lot better mentally because when you have a team behind you, when you're getting coaching at every tournament, at every changeover, the mental aspect is almost eliminated from tennis. I think one of the hardest parts of tennis is that you're by yourself. And I think I've said this before on this channel, but there is no one to keep you focused. If you drift off, you drift off. No one can catch you. And say, hey, stay focused here. Come on. No one's there. If you get negative, no one's there to pick you up. If you get too high, if you get too fired up, no one's there to say, hey, buckle down now. Calm down. You still have work to do here. You may have won the second set, but let's not overhit now. There's no one there. If you're not giving 100% effort, There's no one there to say, pick it up. Come on. You're not giving 100% effort, right? That's challenging. You're all alone. That's that's the mental game. When you have your team on, on your side, I think it eliminates the mental completely. So I think that this is a unique chance to watch these guys almost compete simply based off solely their physical ability. I'd love to ask the players about this. This is just kind of something that that I get from drawing, um, you know, some of my, my, from my own thoughts and conclusions. Um, But that's something I thought about. The other thing is, Team World seems to take a bit more advantage of the the team aspect. Europe, a little bit more subdued. Coach Bjorn Borg, also a little bit more subdued. Um, They kind of leave the players out on on their own a little bit, a little bit more hands-free. Where team world, I mean, they bring the energy. How could you not focus the whole match? How could you not give 100% the whole match, every single point? How could you get negative when you have your teammates on the sideline, you know, feeding you positivity? And the crowd in Chicago, feeding Team World positivity. Maybe that's why it was close. Maybe that closed the gap between Team Europe and Team USA. I said Team USA. Team World. Let's take a quick break. Mm. A little espresso. All right. A couple notes on the matches. I don't want to get too in-depth with it. Um... Let's see, what do I want to talk about? I want to talk about match point. Federer um, was down match point against Isner in the second set. And Isner hit a serve out wide, 138 miles per hour. Federer got a stab backhand return back. Federer's return was great, by the way, uh, last weekend, which is one of the things I noticed. Probably one, one of the main things I noticed that was really good by Roger was his backhand return, which was really bad in Cincinnati and sort of a little bit better at the U.S. Open, but not great. Seems like he's sorted out that kink. And Federer was in exhibition mode. Exhibition Federer is dangerous, but he almost lost to John. I will maintain... I'll say this all day, every day. 2018 John Isner is really hard to beat. I mean, I'm pretty sure... Federer barely lost any points on his serve in the first set against John and lost. But on this match point, John had a short forehand. And Federer guessed correctly and hit a backhand pass winner. Isner almost had a put away and he would have beat Federer. And Zverev, Team Europe, would have had to win two singles matches in a row. They might have done it because uh, it would have been Zverev. He would have had to beat Anderson. There would have been a little bit more pressure on Sasha. But then Djokovic against Kyrgios, that would have been pretty tough for Kyrgios to come through. Um, But something that Federer said after the match caught my attention, and I think it would be kind of a fun thing to, to, to talk about. I know that you guys enjoy this kind of stuff. So Federer said that he could tell that John Isner was going down the line because he would if he was um, if he would if he was gonna go cross court he would have been more open, that's what Roger Fetter said, and this is what saved him the match his anticipation, the supercomputer in Federer's mind that's what saved that's that's what saved him him the match. Let's talk about what that means. If I'm hitting a forehand that way, this way, okay, and my left foot is how I'm sitting right now. Remember. This is my, this is, I'm a righty. I'm hitting the forehand this way. Where my foot is right now, facing the camera like this, that's closed stance. And John Isner on the right side of the court, that's how he was standing. And Roger knew he was going down the line because it's much more unnatural to hit. If you're on the right side of the court with a closed stance, you have to hit kind of across your body to to hit a closed stance forehand cross court from the right side of the court if you're visualizing this. If Isner opened himself up, that would mean facing more this way. So I've moved my left foot here, and I'm facing more this way. I'm opening up my hips, and now I can go cross court or I can go line. But since John was closed, Federer anticipated line correctly and hit the backhand pass winner. So imagine in a split second, That intuitiveness to see, to read John Isner's hips, to guess correctly and hit that backhand pass down match point. Might have saved Team Europe. Uh, Let's see. Any other notes? Big win for K.A. I only watched the highlights, obviously. Anderson looked like he went into never miss mode. I mean, and it also looked like he actually managed to get into such a great service rhythm that he got free points off of um, Djokovic's, uh, off of his serve which he, didn't really, he wasn't able to do really at Wimbledon in the final. What else? What else? Federer beat Kyrgios. Kyrgios kind of want him to shut it down for the season. He probably won't. I don't know. Um, a lot of you are skeptical when I say that he's injured, and you guys say, no, he's not injured. He just stinks. <laughs> but I do anticipate, this is my hunch, that Nick is going to have hip surgery at the end of the year. He's just not moving very well. And once again, Federer looked really good here. Indoor hardcourt, no pressure. Federer's going to play great. 10 out of 10 times. Dimitrov beat uh, TFO rather easily. Uh, Clearly, I thought that Dimitrov's best surface was grass early early in his career. Now it's starting to become clear it's indoor hardcourt for Dimitrov. He was doing something really smart. TFO doesn't like to accelerate on his backhand, so, Dimitrov decided to give him no pace with the backhand slice. Very, very sharp. Smart by Dimitrov. And uh, Grigor was so steady. Didn't, didn't miss a lot of balls in that match. Do I have anything else? Sox still struggling in singles. Uh, Gafan-Schwartzman was a great match. But uh, that's pretty much all I got. Like I said, I don't really want to go too in-depth into any of these. And lastly, we'll end the show with some um, Asian hardcourt swing talk. I want to just quickly go go through the big four and talk about kind of what their goals should be. This is a strange time. Of the, this is a strange time of season. And a year ago today, Monday match, um, or at this time last year, Monday match analysis did not exist. And to be honest, this was a time where now there are other reasons for this, and this becomes a very busy time in American sports and tennis starts to feel like it matters less with no major on the horizon with, with in my opinion, the less important ATP masters tournaments kind of on the horizon. Um, the, the less prominent ones, um, tennis starts to feel like it means a little bit less. So this has been as a, as, as a tennis guy, um, this has been a part of the season where I've relaxed a little bit and watched less. Now, now that I have this show, I'm going to probably still watch just as much. <laughs> but, um, first of all, just to give you an idea of how young the show is, it kind of, kind of blows my mind. Um, this, it will be the one year anniversary of, of Monday Match Analysis, um, when, it will it'll be until uh, Indian Wells once Indian Wells comes around then it will be one year old this show and needless to say I've been so happy with the growth and um, and all of that but um, I think that I think that this is a strange time of year is what I'm trying to say last year sok won Paris Dimitrov won the Tour finals and those were the two guys who, who were really good. Those were the two guys where you're like, okay, after the U.S. Open, these two guys emerged. That was the story. And what did it mean? Because in 2018, those were two of the guys who struggled the most. So what do you make out of this time of year? It's hard to say. We'll see, though. Djokovic, I think he should try to get to number one. I think he will finish number one. Um, I think it'll have a lot to do with Novak, but it'll also have a lot to do with Rafa. These two are... Okay, let's see. Novak has 6,445 points. Rafa has 7,480 points. Novak doesn't really have anything to defend. I think he'll catch Rafa here. So Djokovic's goal should be, get it to, should be to get to number one. Federer, I think the number one thing for him is to try to get a win over Novak. And this would be a good time of year to try to do it. Because I think... Whoever Roger steps on the court against when it comes to Australia 2019, he should be confident that he can beat. But Novak is sort of a different story. That's where maybe Roger has some doubt. I think it's very possible Roger has some doubt against Novak. So he needs to overcome that. And I think that Shanghai or the, uh, the Tour Finals would be a great place for Roger to pick up a win against Novak. The conditions would favor Roger there uh, relatively can Roger beat Novak right now in the form that he is um, in the form that Novak is? I'm not sure. Maybe. Uh, but that would be huge for Roger. Anything else, probably insignificant. For Rafa, just needs to stay healthy. I do not expect big things. Uh, when it's all said and done, only one major for, for Rafa, and it was just the French. But he had a better year than that. And I know it's not over. He can still accomplish more. But this is the toughest time of year for Rafa, um, and he's coming off the knee. I think he just needs to stay healthy, um, and that should be his thing. Not expecting big things out of him over the next couple months. Andy Murray is the guy who I'm most excited to watch. I love comeback stories. Everyone should love comeback stories, and this is going to be – you know we just saw Tiger Woods. I'm not going to compare Murray to Tiger, but I am. Because I am right now. But uh, comeback stories are great. They are. So to watch Murray try to claw back, that's going to be fun. And uh, that starts here. This is significant for Andy. Uh, more significant for Andy than it is for any of the other three guys. So now that I touched on all those guys, um, I think that'll do it. I want Before I go, Serena, uh, I read your comments, of course, as I always do. And I'll admit that as time as time passed i i think that i was too soft on serena and i don't think that i i represented the the issue well and i think that a lot of you guys were right um, in disagreeing with me i tried to frame it as sort of a 50-50 fault thing and it wasn't that was that that was wrong on my part it's way more serena's fault for Losing all control and abusing Carlos Ramos. It is. I still think that Ramos could have done things differently. I still think Ramos could have helped the situation. And I still think that Ramos isn't my choice in umpire, personally. But um, I do want to just go back and say, I see where you guys were coming from and... With a with an issue where you're getting sort of a bombardment of different takes and opinions and and different forces, um, I I didn't I wasn't able to reconcile the situation as well as I wanted to uh, two weeks ago, and I was too soft on Serena, I was. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Make sure to rate and review on iTunes if you haven't done that. Even if you watch on YouTube, it's a huge help.